Does anybody here wear glasses? You know, when you, I've had a prescription in my pocket for a new pair of glasses for about eight months now. <laughs> but I like these ones. And uh, it's awful when you go and choose a new pair of specs, isn't it? Because like, you're looking at all these different frames and you're thinking, oh, I don't like them and I don't like them and I don't like them. And it's really, really hard. But the ones that you like, you think, oh, I quite like these, even though they're out of fashion and everything like that. When I first got these, these made me look very intelligent and suave and, and things like that. And they were quite trendy at the time. But, um, and I sometimes got them out of the case and just looked at them. But to be honest, if that's all I did, it'd be absolutely pointless, wouldn't it? Because glasses are not for looking at, they're for looking through. And that's what I want to talk to you about the gospel today. The gospel is not just something that um, saves us the gospel is something that affects every, every facet of our lives, all the way through our lives. We've got to live out the gospel, not just respond to the gospel. We have to be the gospel, and we have to allow the gospel to really shape our decisions, our thinking, our outlook for the future, everything about it. And I'm going to use 1 Corinthians 15, but you'll pardon me, if you don't like this particular version, I'm going to read from the message version today, Eugene Peterson. Uh, because Paul, Paul does a great job. But Eugene Peterson, <laughs> dare I say that, <laughs> in our day and age, does a bit better job for, for understanding it anyway, for understanding it. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read the first um, 20 verses, I think. And... Uh, this is what he says. Friends, let me go over the message, and the message is the gospel, with you one final time. This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own, this message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved, I'm assuming now that your belief was, was the real thing and not a passing fancy and that you're in this for good and holding fast, the first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly how Scripture tells it, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day. That's the gospel. We know that. Again, exactly as Scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter, and then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time. Most of them still around, although a few sins have died. That he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him. And that he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp God's church right out of existence. But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. And I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. It was God 
giving me the work to do, God giving me the energy to do it. So whether you heard it from me or from those others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth and you entrusted your lives. Now, let me ask you something profound and yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection uh, for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrications if there's no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering around in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. There is a nice symmetry in this Death initially came by a man, and resurrection from the dead came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam. Everybody comes alive in Christ. But we have to wait our turn. Christ is first, and then those with him at his coming, the grand consummation, then after that crushing the opposition, he hands over his kingdom to God the Father. He won't let up until the last enemy is down. And the very last enemy is death. And he goes on to describe how the psalmist talks about it. That's a long passage. But what he's saying is, is, don't start doubting elements of the gospel. The gospel is the whole thing. And our hope is in that gospel for life. Not just for the, the ABC that we were taught when we, when we came to Jesus. Accept, believe, confess. Yes, that's part of it. That's the very start of the road. But instead of the ABC, it's the A to Z of our whole lives that we hold on to the gospel. And we're going to be looking at that today. And I'm going to be pausing a few times just to, just to give you time to reflect. And I'm going to be using an old song that some of you might know, probably most of us know, From Heaven You Came, Helpless Babe. I'm not saying it to you. I'm not to spare you that agony. But, um, but it's much more accurate to say that we are saved by believing the gospel, but we are saved also by the transforming work of the ongoing gospel work in our lives, placing our hope in all that Jesus has accomplished and is accomplishing and will accomplish in our lives. Romans 12, verse 1 to uh, one and two says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy 
the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, which is pleasing, and which is perfect. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, put on the gospel glasses. If you put on the gospel glasses and you look through the lens which is Jesus Christ, your Savior and your Lord, then you will begin to see the world differently. And you'll begin to live in this world differently. And I'm going to break it up by using three things. Upside down, inside out, and forward back. That's the gospel. Upside down, inside out, and forward back. We sing that lyric, don't we? From heaven you came, helpless babe. Entered our world, your glory veiled. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give your life that we might live. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. To bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to our servant king. When Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2 verse 7. He wrote along with the other gospel writers, the teaching that Jesus, the Son of God, when he came to earth, he made himself nothing, Philippians 2.7 says. If you read the English Standard Version, it says, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He didn't come into this world with a, a, a massive stallion, riding on a stallion or anything like that. He, he didn't come into this world with a massive flash of lightning or anything like that. He was incarnate. He, he came as a man. He came as a, as a baby. As John puts it, the word became flesh. He was vulnerable. And this gospel turns things absolutely upside down. Because we all want a hero. We're all looking for a hero. We're looking for a, a strong hero. We're looking for someone who will fight our battles for us. We're looking for a superhero, if you like. And yet Jesus came and suffered. Jesus came and served. He did everything the opposite way around. And he came from such splendor. From heaven you came, helpless babe. He came from the splendor of heaven that's far greater than anything that we can uh, imagine. But C.S. Lewis described Jesus coming to earth like this. He said, think of a diver. First, reducing himself to nakedness. Then glancing in midair. Then gone with a splash, vanished. Rushing down through green and warm water into black and colder water. Down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay. That's how C.S. Lewis, Lewis described Jesus coming to earth. The difference between uh, heaven and earth was, was like that. And Jesus came, and everybody thought he was going to get rid of all the Roman occupiers. But when Jesus called everybody together on, the, on that Mount of Olives, when he first gave his first Sermon on the Mount... His teaching wasn't what they wanted to hear. He said, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. In the kingdom of God, the first 
shall be last, and the last shall be first. And so the persecuted, the poor, the lowly are elevated above the rich and the recognized and the satisfied. And this is the pattern of the gospel. This is the gospel that Jesus asks us to live by. And yet we all want to be rich. We all want to be successful. We all want to be satisfied. We all want to be comfortable. And yet that's not the gospel. The gospel is sacrificing yourself. The gospel is serving other people. Not chasing after what the world chases after. The power, the riches, the recognition, the status. Philippians 2 says this. Though he was rich, he became poor. Though he was a king, he served. Though he was the greatest, he made himself the servant of all. He triumphed over sin, not by force or power, but by serving sacrificially. He won through losing everything. And sometimes we strive, don't we? We strive in our life. Why is God not blessing me? And God's voice back is saying, why are you not serving? Why are you not serving? Why are you looking all the time for me to give you stuff when you're not actually sacrificing yourself? This is the upside down gospel. It's, a, it's different from a worldly mindset. We treasure not the material. We see the spiritual. We value the spiritual. That's the difference. We take on Jesus as our model, not the, the rich and the powerful. We read the word. We hunger for the word. We don't cope with Hello Magazine. There's something about Hello Magazine that, that really repels us, even though it's nice to look at fancy houses and cars and people wearing the latest fashions and stuff like that. But actually, we know deep down it's nothing because it's, it's different when you're gospel-oriented. And our lives become changed when we reflect on how the gospel affects us. And we begin to look through that lens and we see the world differently. Let me ask you just to close your eyes just for a minute. Just to reflect, think about. Let me ask you a question. How do you see the world? How do you see the world? Is it through the lens of the gospel? Or is it something to be exploited and gained from, acquired? Not to be served, but to serve. And to give your life that we might live. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. To bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to you, the servant king. So it's an upside down gospel. It's also inside out. It's inside out. If there's one group of people who Jesus had a problem with while he was on earth, it was the Pharisees. They constantly emphasized the external qualifications 
needed for what they thought was salvation. The do's and the don'ts. The, the law, circumcision. You know, not just the observance of the Sabbath, but all the rules and regulations that they added to around the Sabbath. Who you could talk to and who you couldn't talk to. Who you could spend time with and who you must never spend time with. What you could eat and what you couldn't eat. It was all outward. It was all an outward thing. But Paul says in Romans verse 17, for, uh, chapter 14, verse 17, it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not what's on the outside, thank goodness. It's what's on the inside. It's an inside-out gospel. Jesus paid the price for our sins when he took our place on the cross. And by doing this, he accomplished salvation for us. We didn't earn it. We did nothing towards it. Jesus did it all for us. Salvation is a free gift that we received. This is different from religion. Religion teaches us that if we do good and we follow the rules, then God will come into our hearts and bless us. You know, God will love us if we obey him and if we do what he says, and he might accept us if we do that. But the gospel is the reverse of this. If I know in my heart that God has accepted me and loves me, and by his grace freely given, offers salvation to me, then I'll have gratitude in my heart. Then I'll have joy in my heart. It won't be a drudge. It will be a pleasure to worship God. I will go through my life with thankfulness, and I will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the word says that's the type of worshiper that Jesus is looking for, one who worships in spirit and in truth. Tim Keller recently passed away, fantastic theologian, said this, my self-view is not based on a view of myself as a moral achiever. In Christ, I am simultaneously sinful and lost, yet loved and accepted. I am so bad that he had to die for me, and I am so loved that he was glad to die for me. This leads me to a deeper humility, thankfulness and confidence without boasting about my own goodness or sniveling about my own failures. We're justified by grace alone, not by works. We are beautiful because Christ has made us beautiful and God sees that beauty when he looks upon us. And once we grasp this in our understanding then our insides will begin to change. Our attitudes will begin to change. Our compassion, our grace towards other people will change. It's not about what's on the outside. It's really sad sometimes when you, um, someone who's brand new to the faith, maybe they've gone through Alpha and they're full of enthusiasm, all they've learned for Jesus, but they're still very, very young in the faith. And an older Christian comes along and starts batting them around the ears. At, oh, you've got to give that up. You, should, you shouldn't do this. And don't dress like this when you come to church. It's really sad when you hear many, many stories of people that have decided, I'm no longer going to go to church because if that's what it's about, that's, that's what I don't want. 
when actually the truth is that's what it isn't all about. And if anybody's ever said that to you, please, please, please look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at what the gospel really is. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's not about the jeans or the cheetos or whatever you're wearing. It's not about what you eat. It's about Jesus dying on the cross for you and seeing you for someone who he loves. And if we allow the gospel to start cleansing us from the, from the inside out, we develop righteousness. We develop peace. We develop joy in the Holy Spirit. And we avoid rules and regulations. Close your eyes once more, please. Ask yourself this question. How can I be more of an inside-out follower of Jesus? What have I said to other people that might be an obstacle to them growing in Jesus? Maybe I'll think about another way of encouraging people in the future. And the song goes, so let us learn how to serve. And in our lives, enthrone him. Each other's needs to prefer, for it is Christ we're serving. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. So we've done upside down and inside out. The gospel is also forward back, not back to front, but forward back. Easter is long gone now. Who would have thought it? It seems like two minutes ago, doesn't it? In fact, Christmas seems like two minutes ago. But Easter has come and gone. But followers of Jesus, we can't see Easter as just a time in our calendar. Easter is what's in our hearts. Easter is what we live out. Easter should be there in our lives every single day. The resurrection of Jesus is so important. That's what Paul was trying to emphasize to the Corinthians in chapter 15 there. It's so powerful. We must live our lives constantly conscious of it. He's resurrected. He's come alive. He is living. You know, we're not resurrected yet. We're living here on earth. We're battling away here on earth. But we have a resurrection to look forward to. Because Christ is resurrected, we will be resurrected as well. He's initiated the kingdom of God. It's not fully here yet, but partly it is here. And we see it regularly. But the gospel teaches that Jesus... First and second coming. His first coming, he died for sin. He dealt with sin and death. But in his second coming, all things will be renewed. We will be a new creation. We will have perfection. This earth will not be a, a tiresome place. It will not be a broken place. It will be a joy to live in this place. The gospel teaches that. 
and the penalty for sin will be done away with. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says this, He has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised us. In other words, God is encouraging us by placing the Holy Spirit in us to say, that Holy Spirit is a sign that I've got you forever. The future is yet to come, but I've got you. And in the future, you'll be resurrected, you'll be living with me. It's a seal, it's a guarantee. Don't look to the temporary treasures of this world. Look to eternal treasures in Christ Jesus. It's back, it's forwards back. At the end of time, Jesus will come to complete all that he began at his first coming. Everything will be renewed. Brokenness will be absent. We live in the now, but it's in the light of the not yet. It's in the light of the future. We want to tell people about that. We urgently don't want anybody to miss out on that. So we tell people, believe in Jesus because your future will be sealed. And at the same time, we serve and we help everybody in every way, integrating our faith and our work so that as the Bible describes it, the aroma of Christ is spread around, filling the whole of society. We don't retreat into a little huddle. We're not like that as Christians. We're out in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world, spreading the aroma of Jesus in this increasingly hostile society. And Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against. You know, we read from time to time, don't we, cases where perhaps um, naive Christians have gone about sharing their faith in a not-so-appropriate way at work, and they've been disciplined, or they've lost their job. There was a, a case recently where uh, a Christian lady had gone into work and took a book or something for a, a Muslim colleague, and the lady got sacked. And there's a big outcry saying, that shouldn't be allowed, and that's terrible, and everything like that. But actually, we don't know the intricacies of, the, of that story. You know, if... if, if one of your Mormon friends just come and clouted you over the head with the Book of Mormon, you wouldn't take that very kindly. You'd probably put a grievance in against them or something like that. You know, that's what you don't do. That's what you don't do. Jesus says, be respectful of whatever beliefs a person may ask. Ask questions about their faith rather than declaring statements about your own and allow them to ask you questions. If they ask you a question about your faith and you just give them an honest answer, nobody's going to take you to a tribunal. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to tell you that you haven't got a job anymore because we should be living our lives that creates questions. Where's the scriptural evidence for this? Read Acts 17. When Paul goes to the philosophers on Mars Hill, he asks them questions about their beliefs and their philosophies, and he causes them to ask him questions about his faith. Last reflection. Let's just close our eyes. Here's a question. Is Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus, 
the resurrection of Jesus, a daily rather than an annual experience in my life? Do I live out that Jesus is alive? He is risen from the dead. And he's at work in our world right now by his Holy Spirit. Do I allow him to do what he wants to do? Or do I think I know better and sometimes put my foot in my mouth? Do I allow people to ask questions about the gospel? Or do I just come out with statements that act like a sledgehammer to people? And the song finishes by saying, so let us learn how to serve. And in our lives, enthrone him. Each other's needs to prefer. For it is Christ we're serving. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is the, the lens that we look through. Well, Jesus is the gospel. And Jesus turns this world upside down, inside out, and forward back. It's a fallen and it's a damaged world. But we don't have to conform to it. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And it's the gospel that renews our mind. It's an upside down world, this gospel world, because Jesus came as a man. It's an inside out change in our hearts because Jesus died on the cross. And it's a forward back kingdom of God that's at work in our lives because Jesus rose from the dead. Colossians 3 says this, Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful that the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. And teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now I'm not going to close in prayer. What I want you to do is perhaps with your neighbour... Maybe it's your, your wife or your husband or your friend or whatever. Just share something that the Holy Spirit spoke to you about in this last 25 minutes. Something that just occurred to you. And then just 
just pray for each other. Just pray blessing and pray that your friend or the person next to you would live out this gospel because it's a powerful, powerful thing. And Jesus, this world so needs Jesus. So let's do that with each other, shall we?